Can I take before you start recording? Because yeah. I don't want this on tape. Okay. The, uh, it is recording, but I won't use it. Yes. <laughs> oh, you can use it if you want. Okay. Well, don't, because it looks, it'll look shit. But. You hate it? No, I've been listening to book podcasts uh-huh. and write podcasts this week. And it was the only one I heard that wasn't shit. Seriously? Yeah, yeah. Oh. I mean, that sounds, that sounds no, no, really That funny. is definitely going yeah, in. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, but it, it sounds like, that sounds like all of my prices, like, yours yeah. is yours. things and I'm Rob Cutforth. I'm coming to you today from Pomona Island, which is this island in the middle of Manchester. Uh, It's hard to describe really. It's got nothing on it. It's a sunny day, uh, probably the only sunny day we've had in the last month. So that would be why I'm recording. Pomona is weird. This is my second time here. The first time was when I was here to record my book trailer, which, uh, for the, my failed novel, I can understand why that recent play of the same name, Pomona, was, t- takes place here, because it's, if you want a post-apocalyptic novel or play or piece of artwork, no place is better than this, really, because this is what the world will look like when the shit hits the fan. Um, just giant blocks of discarded concrete and crushed beer tins and those weird little metal things these little weird metal containers that for the longest time, this shows you what a hick I am, I thought they were CO2 cartridges for pelicans um, so that tells you quite a bit about me it tells you A what an enormous hick I am and B how innocent I am in the world of drugs I've since been told by a couple people, because I didn't believe them that they're actually canisters that hold I've forgotten. Whatever that drug is that young people do now. Nitrous, maybe? Anyway, whatever. Um, There's loads of those here. Tons. I am eating a KFC for the first time in quite a long time. I like an actual KFC. I live in South Manchester, so you have loads of the fake KFCs. Kansas fried chicken and, I don't know, every state but Kentucky. And I walked past a JCB with a board attached by rope to cover the windows so that scrotes can't throw rocks at it, I'm assuming. Um, It's weird. If you're on Pomona Island and you're not walking your dog or jogging, you really have no earthly business being here. So I'm actually feeling rather uncomfortable because there are people that are kind of walking past and looking at me. It's always weird when I've got headphones on. Um in the middle of nowhere, but it's especially weird here. Uh, It couldn't be more different, this podcast, from the one before. Mexico seems a million miles away and a million years ago, uh, but it was just last month. A cyclist has just gone by, riding with no hands, eating a potato salad, complete with fork. It's a crazy place, Pomona. And uh, there is the usual, end of all things, siren. I... Don't think I've done a single podcast that hasn't had a siren in it. Um, even when I interviewed the evidently people, we were inside the bowels of the Eagle Pub. There must have been three or four brick walls between us and the outside world, and somehow the siren got in there. So 
you know, nothing says Manchester like a siren, I guess. And I have to keep talking because I can't edit this bit because you will, unless, the, you know what, fuck it, right? Siren's gone. It's uh, Chinese New Year today, so gong hai fa choi to the Cantonese people out there. I don't know the, the Mandarin version of Happy New Year. Um, I can only know so many things. I think it's pretty good that I know the Cantonese one. So yeah, Gong Hai Fa Choi. It's the uh, year of the monkey, which I know nothing about. Uh, I'm a tiger. I know what that means. It means I am full of myself and often angry, which is surprisingly apt, actually. And I mean, tiger is the second best one. Clearly, dragon is the best. And I, I will concede that um, and I think that's what my wife is which is annoying but tiger is definitely the second best monkey I think the Chinese they view that that's actually what they think is the best one because monkeys are clever and I don't know agile I guess that's a big deal uh, but I mean come on dragons and tigers are the best rat would be a bastard uh, you know what I'd take rat over horse though what a boring bloody animal that is Oh, uh, update as well on the sponsorship. I spoke to, I can't tell you who it is yet, um, but uh, mainly because they're making me part of their Arts Council bid. Uh, so I, I might actually be getting some cash for doing this podcast, which is quite cool. Um, and the advertisement bit that I have to do on the podcast itself is seriously unobtrusive. So that's cool. And they're going to teach me how to do an Arts Council bid myself. Is this the most interesting thing for a podcast? I don't know. Now that I've got more listeners, I'm concerned about keeping you entertained. Before, when this thing was just being listened to by me, I didn't really care. I'd just say whatever I want. And now I feel guilty about talking too much bullshit. But I mean, hey, I'm a tiger. That's what I do. Angry and full of myself. Today I talked to Benjamin Judge and David Hartley two Manchester writers who are probably best known for performing in most of the uh, in the literature nights around town. Ben is the guy with the bromai accent. I promise I will never ever do that again. Um, but hey, listen, I get piss taken out of my accent every single day of my life, so tough shit. Dave's accent is from Preston, so you you can probably figure out who's who when they're talking, hopefully. David has his own night now in Stratford called Speakeasy, um, where I think he's encouraging more first-timers. It is in Stratford. Don't let that put you off. It's a good night. It's at the Sip Club, and we talk a bit about that. Um, ben Judge is a writer. His fiction is, it's hard to describe, really, bonkers. Um, he's probably best known for little short stories and flash fiction that he performs um, around town. He's been at the Royal Exchange a couple times. He was just recently a judge for the Not the Booker Prize. And uh, we talk about that and talk about what the Not the Booker Prize is. I know, I didn't really know what it was. I know what it isn't, obviously. But um, yeah, so we get into that sort of business. Um... They also dish some dirt, which is quite nice. You know, I don't know if they forgot the recorder was on, but I'd say there's no sl nothing too slanderous. But um, there are some things in there that, uh, if you know who they're talking about, might be a bit mean. But hey, what can I say, man? 
it's the uh, this podcast is the end of all things. It's not the happy love hour. Happy love hour? Ugh. But it's a fun and interesting interview, so listen to it. very simple spoken word night that we've started up at the Sick Club in Stratford, mm-hmm. uh, which, so I know somebody who works at the Sick Club, Annika, and she uh, approached me and said, asked me if I wanted to help set something up. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we did, and basically it's just, uh, it's a very basic stripped down spoken word night, um, sort of aimed towards writers local to Stratford or local to this area and um, also people who were kind of new to spoken word as mm-hmm. well I want it to be a kind of open safe supportive environment for for new performers and new writers who perhaps have been writing for a while but have never actually made that transition to go on, on stage and speak them out mm-hmm. and the way it's set up really is that it's in a very it's quite a, a neat little small room in in SIP and there's no microphone and there doesn't need to be a microphone because the room is small enough and it's a nice little crowd of people and it's just five minutes of stage time and that's it. Um, and we've been doing it for the past few months, so we've done three now um, and it's gone quite well. Um, everyone seems to be getting behind it. We've got a, a neat little group of um, local poets and writers who have been coming along and who are supporting it, which is really mm-hmm. nice. We've had a fair few people, including some good friends of mine who've been uh, up on stage and doing it for the first time, which has also been great. Mm-hmm. Um, and so far, it's gone well. Why is it in Stratford? Well, Other than that's where you live. That's where I live. Why? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> why, why not Charlton? Um, well, which would seem the more kind of obvious place. I think Charlton has its own little scene. It's maybe not a, a writing scene as such, but it's a very cultural area with lots of things going on. There's lots of little bars going on there. Stratford, which is not far from Charlton, pretty much neighbours it, mm. doesn't really have anything. No. It's got it's got this the rubbish sort of mall place where nothing happens. <laughs> it's got a really old, beautiful old cinema that's just closed down that you can't go inside, which is a real shame because I'd love to see inside it. Mm-hmm. And then it's got Sip. Um, and SIP is fairly new. It's only been open for about 18 months, I think. Yeah. That's the thing. It's the kind of the only thing that's in Stratford, really, that's yeah. of any value to, for people to go in the evening. But it's a lovely little place. And so when Annika approached me about it, I was like, OK, yeah, great. Here's an opportunity to do something for Stratford, I guess. Like, yeah. sort of with Stratford. And I've been living in Stratford now for about three years. And I've never really got involved with anything community-wise. Yeah. So this was a really nice mm. opportunity for me to do something for the community of Stratford, with the community of Stratford, yeah. and just to start something up. And mm-hmm. I think the reason why it's been, uh, it's done okay for the past three events is because there's nothing else in the area yeah. for it. And there were poets and people waiting in the wings who right. wanted something like that to happen. That's why they've reacted quite nicely to it. So, yeah. yeah. Um, the main reason I wanted both of you guys on at the same one is because you, you've both got quite a good knack of getting things published. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. So, well, I mean, you know, you, you, in what sense? In sense of sending stuff out, to yes, be published. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think you've both got quite a few things, like especially short work oh. that's been published. Mm-hmm. How do you go about doing that? I start off by writing a story mm-hmm. first. Oh, that's a good yeah, start. It's a good yeah. idea. You can't get anything published if you haven't got anything written. Yeah, and, uh, and, and it has to be good. Like, I mean, that's a given. Yeah. Well. <laughs> not 
necessarily. It depends you, where you send you it. Publish on the internet. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just publish it on your own blog. Doesn't mean doesn't matter. Yeah, um, but you've got something that's coming out. Yeah, well, no, well, so I've had a fair few short stories published out in various magazines, both online and in mm-hmm. print, um, and this, I really, I kind of, I kind of get, I've got myself into the habit of sending stuff out. I write a lot of short fiction, mm-hmm. and I've, I've never been the sort of writer who's just going to sit on what I've written and just, just write it and hide it, because mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of writers out there that do do that, write stuff, and then just sort of... Worry that it's not good enough. Yeah, worry it's not good enough. Get a little embarrassed by it. There's a a lot of... Writers do get embarrassed by their own work, I think. Mm -hmm. You should sort of see the flaws in the things that you've written and they just kind of sort of tuck it away. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never really been like that very much, so I do tend to just fling things out. I'll write something, I'll edit it, redraft it, what have you, and when I feel like it's good enough... I'll still stop flinging it out. Yeah. More often than not, it gets rejected. But where do you send it? it sticks. Um, and how do you find these places? Well, I used to do a lot of research in terms of looking for magazines or websites that would take my kind of fiction, which is, tends to be fantasy flash fiction or mm-hmm. short stories or science fiction, even mythologically horror stuff. And you can mm-hmm. find stuff like that. Um, and I used to do a lot of research with that. But generally, these days, there's two places that I go to Maybe three actually. There's a there's a blog by a guy called Paul McVeigh. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the website. I think it's like Paul McVeigh.blogspot.com, mm-hmm. and it's a really good, um, regularly updated list of publishers. List of think submission call outs, competitions, mm-hmm. magazines that are asking for uh, publications and what have you. So I go there every now and again to check in on that. There's another web, similar website called Short Stops, which I think is run by Tanya Hirschman. Yes. Um, and that does a similar thing. And that's got a really good list of, of magazines that are, that are asking for what, and what sort of things they're asking for. And then I just, I, just ha- I just follow a lot of them on Twitter, follow a lot of magazines, follow a lot of writers, follow a lot of writers at the same stages that, that I'm at, I think. Yeah. And things just appear in my feed and just yeah. like, oh, and then I go, oh, that's interesting, click on that. And then I'll, yeah. if it's... If it's if I've got a story that fits it, or if it's a theme that I could write towards, then I'll just yeah. So it's mostly small publishers. Mostly small publishers, small magazines, um, and I just keep flinging stuff out there. Yeah. Um, And as I say, do get a lot of rejections, but Mm -hmm. um, for every ten rejections, there might be an acceptance, and that's you know that's good enough. If your long term aim is to get a novel published or a book, short stories published, then any sort of ammunition you've got I was published in this you know a story in Ambit or whatever you know you sort of it looks good it puts you on the pile gets you noticed Mm -hmm. and you also you get noticed by other writers because good writers are good readers and you get noticed and then it becomes sort of not self-serving but you know what I mean it's sort of Mm -hmm. self-perpetuating I suppose but yeah Snowball. Snowball, yeah, that's a nice <laughs> for it. Um, yeah. But yeah, like, I mean, anyone doubts, I think if you write poetry, Joe Bell does a similar sort of thing that mm. Tanya and Paul McFly do. Um, and they're both... What, like a list of publishers, you mean? Yeah, Joe Bell spends a lot of time on um, Facebook putting links to poetry opportunities and things like that. I mean, she, she, I mean, she considers that part of her job as a writer. Yeah. Um, again, it's a, it's a advertising thing I mean, I mean Paul McVeigh's first novel came out this year The Good Son which was shortlisted for the not the book you can use that as a segue great segue later. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got him you know I mean a lot of people feel 
good about it. I mean, the reason the book was successful is because it's a good book, but lots of people would have given that book a go because they've been on his website and he's mm-hmm. given them opportunities yeah. and shown them things and they've got story published off the back of something they've wrote on his blog and his book comes out and they're like, I'll give that a go. He's yeah. a nice go. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously everyone can't set up a website putting links to things. You, yeah. Him and Tanya have got it pretty much. I, I don't understand why people do that. Because, I mean, when especially Joe, like somebody that's doing um, poetry... Like, I mean, fiction is a very small pie and with loads of people. But poetry, it's even a smaller, you know, pie. Maybe that's not the right <laughs> analogy, but it's oh, a, there's very, very few commissions for poetry, isn't there? And I, I suppose there's not as many poets that are looking, but I, I do find it interesting when you see uh, people who write helping other people yeah. get published. And I just think uh, that does not, doesn't even compute to me at all because I just think... No, if I, if I, want, I want that. That's because you're a novelist. <laughs> I, think, I, think, I think short story writing and poetry, they are quite close-knit communities. I think people do look out for each other. Yeah. And I think people do give it, you know, tell people about opportunities. Because if you're sending out stories or poems regularly, then, as Dave says, you're going to get a lot of rejections. Mm-hmm. So you know that if you've sent out 100 stories and 90 have been rejected and 10 have been accepted in decent on decent websites or in decent magazines you know that the ones that are rejected are not necessarily because they're not good stories they're rejected because they weren't what the editors are looking mm-hmm. for different editors have got different tastes well it could be because they're not good stories as well yeah. Well, yeah, well yeah of course it could be that but mm-hmm. you could you can write a story get it rejected by 12 websites then send it to Granter and Granter love it that's right. just I mean mm. that's just the way it is editors have different tastes I yeah. mean very few publications have got really broad taste yeah. you know a New Yorker story when you read a New Yorker story you mm-hmm. can, when you read a collection of stories you can almost spot the one that was in the New Yorker because it's a certain style yeah. that they like the same with Granter Granter have got a very specific way of looking at what fiction should and shouldn't be they don't publish genre they don't they don't really go for too much experimental stuff they like tend to like stuff in the first person that I have no idea why <laughs> and they tend to like stuff that blurs the line between fiction and reality mm-hmm. again is it fiction is it not fiction and again I find that quite I don't understand why they love that so much but they do so if you know that some of your stuff is not going to get accepted by that then, then why hide the, the the opportunity to call out you may as well tell other people because yeah. it might be yeah. that they like someone else's stories I mean sometimes I see a call for stories and I think I'll tell you who that would fit Right, they they definitely yeah. like Dave's stuff, or they definitely like Fat Rowan's stuff, or yeah. Abby's stuff. Or... Yeah. Um, you mentioned the not the Booker Prize. Oh. Yes. Yeah. Thanks for that. <laughs> you, it's like you've done this before. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to uh, talk about because you were a judge for the not the Booker Prize? First of all, what is it? And I, I know that's probably a stupid question because most people will know what it is, but I, I I'm, I'm not entirely sure. Yeah, I know what it isn't. <laughs> but why is it? Is it just a protest against snootiness? No, I don't think it's not a pro- Well, protest probably too strong a word for it. It was set up a few years ago by Sam Jordison, and it wasn't as much a protest against the Booker Prize, but a, a recognition that the same sort of books get shortlisted every year. It, it's a literary fiction prize, mm-hmm. obviously, but being that, it doesn't really explore genre. I mean, even things like historical novels, before Hilary Mantel's success 
were largely overlooked. One or two, Unsworth and a couple of others, but not many. Mm-hmm. Not much in the way of sort of humorous fiction. No, obviously no science fiction, or very little. No horror, no fantasy. So it was... And it's also, it's it's got quite an archaic voting structure, the way books get nominated to the booker. If you've previously been long-listed for the booker, your book automatically gets put into the the pile of books that get read. But otherwise, publishers can only put, I think, it might be two now, but it was at one time it was only one book per publisher. Mm-hmm. So it's this, it, it causes, you get a cycle of where someone like Ian McEwan wins, so if you're a publisher putting a book forward, do you think Ian McEwan won last year, we'll put something that's a bit like Ian yeah. McEwan because they might like the same sort of thing. And the same sort of writers, you know, your you Barnes and your McEwans, mm-hmm. Good writers, don't get me wrong, but they're only one part of the yeah. of the market. So the not the book was set up as the opposite of the booker. Any book was self published. Anything was viable. There was no entry fee, which you have with large prizes. We have to pay to put your book forward. Mm-hmm. It's none of that. It was nominated by Guardian readers. Anyone can nominate a book for the long list. Anything that gets nominated, you have to write a hundred word review. Right, and then. All the books that get longlisted, you have a huge long list, and then again, voted by readers to the Guardian, you pick two from the, the long list, you nominate your two books, you have to write at least a hundred word review for one of the two. From that, a short list is made from the most popular ones, and they each week Sam will read the book, put his review of the book, and underneath the comment sections, pick like their comments. Mm-hmm. And once he's gone through the six books, you vote for the winner. Um, right. And that's that. So it's a, it's as democratic as a week, and it's been sort of over the years. It's been finessed, fine tuned. Um, so a couple of years ago, they added three three judges, which are Guardian readers, who will get a vote. The public get two votes, and the three judges get a vote each mm-hmm. because there's been controversy over the years <laughs> of people of writers. Do an email campaign. Yeah, so it's a pop- it's more like it was a popularity contest, really. Yeah, yeah. Be, well, it was less popularity. There was I can't remember I can't remember the name of the writer, but he, he a few years ago he was shortlisted for it, and he decided the book the prize was ridiculous, for whatever reason he decided, and he sent out an email to hundreds of people saying, "This prize is ridiculous. Vote for me, so I win it, and then I will." I will say, denounce it and say how bad it is. Right. Um, you only win a mug. <laughs> right. <laughs> so yeah. It's not like it matters. Yeah. And for a lot of writers getting put on the shortlist for it, and even the longlist for it, is brilliant exposure. Mm-hmm. You get. I mean, and there have been books on the shortlist in the past which were undoubtedly bad books. Right. Because you can get on the shortlist by getting some of your mates to vote for you. Yeah. You, it's not a massive number of votes that get you on the shortlist, like something like 50 votes will get you on the shortlist. Huh. So you can get on there, yeah. but then obviously if your book's not good enough, then it's going to come unstuck at the next stage mm-hmm. and it won't win. I think this year, this year there were seven books, one of which I really disliked, but other people did like it, so the quality was overall... It wasn't, you know, I yeah. there was one, I, there was one I've about, but um, it got a decent review. So obviously, some people thought it was a high enough quality yeah. to be on the shortlist. But six of the seven were very good books. 
but there were writers that ne- aren't necessarily getting publicity. And I think the same thing's true with the booker. A lot of people get a lot of exposure from the booker who does a job too. So I think it's it complements the booker as opposed mm-hmm. to protest. But uh, don't literary fiction novels usually win the not the booker as well? Uh, yes and no. Um, tends to be a lot... That wasn't meant to be a trap. I just no. kind of mm. kind of dawned on no, me. No, I was no, surprised no. when you said mm. genre fiction are considered because I thought... And I, I know you, you'll see the odd one in there, but yeah. the winners are still tend to be kind of that literary. Well, I think that question last, applies as Last well, year, yeah, but I yeah. mean, Sorry. what literary fiction is and isn't is, mm-hmm. a, is a moot point anyway. Yeah. Because literary fiction tends to be shorthand for good fiction. Yeah. And... If, Brave words, those. So, so <laughs> yeah. say someone like Ishiguro, yeah, who's clearly writing science fiction. Yeah, Margaret so, Atwood. Margaret Atwood, yeah, and like sort of Martin Amis has written science fiction. Loads of people have, but they don't get filed in the science fiction section because someone in a broadsheet has decided that it's this transcends genre right. because it's good, which is clearly nonsense. Mm-hmm. Simon Sylvester, who's the visitors one, the not the booker last year. Um, is about sulky myths, so that is fantasy, right? But it's also literary fiction, yeah, because it's good. So it's I don't know. Can you say one thing? I don't know. I don't know. But I mean the the not the book of this year had a two hundred page science fiction poem. Mm-hmm. That would never get on the book. Yeah, it's right. Impossible. Yeah. But I'd, I'd also argue that it would never win the not the booker either. I don't know. I think. I think. Do you think? Yeah. I think in. I mean, not the book has not existed for very long, has it? Has yeah. it only been about like five years, something like that. Slow. I think six or seven. I think. Right. But I'm not sure. But I think in the future, I think you will see some quite in, interesting things winning yeah. that prize. Um, but just because of the way in which it's, uh, way in which it comes together, and like you said, I think it was dark. It was Dark Star, wasn't it? That was the science fiction yeah. novel. Yeah. Um, the science fiction long form poem thing that was on on the short list, which I haven't actually read yet, but mm, that it's nice. Well it's nice to see that, and and equally because that is it's published by Unsung Stories, Unsung Press, who are a really really small publisher, and that's what I think that's what's really good about Not the Booker is that it it. It it gives a sort of encouragement to the really small presses. Yeah, and, and they're the not small just small. Publishers. They're not just small publishers. They're actually quite a brave publisher. And yeah, that was their the third book they published. Yeah, was a science fiction poem. Um, and if you're if you're Penguin, you can publish that and afford to take a hit on yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you're if you're unsung, if you publish two books and this is your third book, that can close you down. Yeah, you've got to invest a lot. And they they produce really good books, really quality books, beautiful covers. Yeah. They've got a good online presence, and that all takes money. And if they to be brave like that, then they deserve a reward. Like Absolutely. That. They deserve to get shortlisted. The other thing I was going to ask, because you're both having both of you in the same place, is that you 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 do quite a lot of uh, performance as well. And do you write differently for what's going to be read? And what's going to be performed? Yeah, definitely. So yeah. when you write something for performance, what do you? What's the difference? Um, <laughs> I yeah. Well, I found like when I started to do a lot of performances, and I started to enjoy doing like spoken word nights. My writing did kind of change. I noticed it happening that I was writing towards a performance quite often. These days, I'll 
I'll know if I'm sitting down to write a story, I'll know pretty much whether I'm going to do as a performance or I'm not. Okay. Or And then or at the end, I'll decide whether it could be performed. Um, but I don't know, it, it, it gives your fiction a certain bit of a twist when you know that you're going to read it out loud because you've got to start doing things like really thinking about the first line of the story because you really want to hook an audience mm-hmm. in and, and performing it almost as a kind of... It's almost like a monologue. You've got to hit certain sort of theatrical moments throughout a piece for it for an audience to react. Mm-hmm. So I'm always hunting for laugh lines and yeah. um, bits that I can maybe can do sort of on stage props and embellishments and yeah. things like that, which I'm always, which are always David Gaffney on. said the same thing. Yeah, that he he thinks that performances need more than just yeah. Yeah, they don't always, but often, yeah. It's a different element when you're writing. When you're writing for the page, your duty is to the prose and to the story. When you're writing to perform, your duty is to the audience. Right. You're entertaining an audience. You are the entertainment. You have yeah. to work for them. If there's no point reading, I mean, that's when you. If sometimes when you go to a live night and someone's reading an extract from their novel, they spend the first ten minutes explaining right yeah. where, where they, they are, are in the novel, what's mm-hmm. happening, and you've killed you've killed it before you start because yeah. it has to be immediate. You have to yeah. start. It's like Dave's, I mean, I I think the first line is important either way, but yeah, it is. You yeah. sort of you you have. Because it's an audience that can't close a book. If you've written a story and people don't like it, then close a book, that's that. Mm-hmm. If you're on stage, they've got to listen to it. So you you owe them a performance. Yeah. You can't just read into a page for 10 minutes. Yeah. So it has to have like a beginning and an end. Yeah, I think Would so. you say that, even? Well, it's... not necessarily, because you can have people reading extracts and things and it does work, but yeah, we I read, think... You... We saw Adam Merrick recently. Yeah. Oh, he, that's right. Yeah, yeah. He was... I mean, obviously, he's published, he's got the book, second book out, and he read three extracts from three stories, and he stopped each extract just the point where you're like, I need to know what happens next. Right. It's a really that was clever. Yeah, reading. really good. But they were, he picked the stories that worked, the starts of those stories, I mean, they may all do, but the starts of the stories worked well live, and they all had this moment where you're like, What's this all about? Yeah. <laughs> so if you want to buy the book. Yeah. And, but it was a really good reading, and yeah, I yeah. remember. Um, Ages ago, Bad Language, when Claire Dean had the two books out with Nightjar, and she didn't know what to read because neither of the books, they were too long, the stories were too long for the set she'd got. And I said, like, you've got to just read the start of one of the stories because then you, you'll sell out. Yeah. These, they're two brilliant stories, marionettes and, is it in the Penny Arcade? Yeah. Oh, Absolutely yeah, brilliant. Superb. Really and great horror stories, yeah. They're sort of, there's no one would have heard the first half of that and not bought the book you've got to know what happens and so so you haven't got to have an end if you've got a motive to sell books you probably shouldn't have an end but (laughs) But I I use I use live readings to sell books I mean I have books to sell sometimes but often they are they're books that have got very short pieces in and that's very deliberate because I can go to a live reading and if I've got three or four minutes of stage time I can read one of those stories I'll know which one the audience will react to at that point and which of those stories in that book may well then sell that book. Mm-hmm. So there is sometimes there's a kind of a slightly cynical thing going on in my head thinking I'm going to manipulate all of you guys because I want some of you to put your hands in your pocket and buy my <laughs> buy my book. <laughs> so here's my um, hor- horrible ghost story and then people might go off and, and, and buy it. 
Right, bad host. What's the worst thing a host can do? Um, well, I, I, I get. Where, where's what's the worst host you've seen? You don't don't give me any names, obviously. Okay, so I'll, hmm. maybe not the worst, but you know, there's this. There's, well, yeah, there's this one guy I'm just thinking of, and and he's a lovely chap, really nice, very friendly, very supportive, very encouraging. Um, but the he didn't host his night right at all. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't say what the night was and I won't say who he is but um, I was down to perform at the night and uh, I got there early um, so I must have got there before 7 and I wasn't on stage until 10 past 11 mm-hmm. and the re- main reason for that was he got drunk and he kept performing himself and that really, really winds me up. Mm-hmm. And I hate it. And I don't mind if a host, an MC, what have you, wants to read some of their own material out. That's mm-hmm. great. That's fine. Do that. Do it once. Don't do it more than once. And keep it short and keep it snappy. Mm-hmm. Um, like, I always, I will read one of my stories out at the beginning of Speakeasy every time, but it's always a very short one. It's always just to get the room focused in. Mm-hmm. But he just kept going back on stage and he had his guitar. <laughs> And uh, he'd go, right, I'm going to do another one for you now. And I'm just like looking at my watch thinking, when am I going to get on? And he's like, then goes on and on and on with a 10-minute comedy song about Mm -hmm. fucking pirates or something. And the the, the room is gradually emptying. And I've got no audience, basically no audience Mm -hmm. left. And I had to go up to him and say... Because there were still people after me. You know, I wasn't the last on. I started to go up to him and say... I'm gonna. I've got to get my last train. You're gonna have to put me on in the next five minutes. And yeah. he did, and I got on. And I, to be honest, I probably rushed it yeah. because I was tired, hungry, and wanted to get home. It's from what Doug was saying, I was, for me, the opposite is. I mean, the obviously the ego thing is a problem, but the worst thing for me is the opposite. Is the host that hasn't got a presence. Yeah, right? that's the, the host. Absolutely. That we the did. Time. We did a. I think were you there that open mic night we did in Waterstones. Waterstones in Manchester was setting up oh, a, yeah, an yeah, open yeah, mic. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like, it was the first one, and the guy who was running it was a really nice guy. Yeah. I don't think he's in Manchester anymore, but he set it up, and there was music as well as writing, and some of the bands were proper bands. There were a couple yeah. of people there with guitars, <laughs> and a couple of them were like were fine, one of them was quite funny, one of them was doing sound stuff. Some people were just doing other people's, just doing cover versions, and not like new versions of just doing a song, which didn't sit, there's not really any point to that. Someone read from a book, because they bottled doing their own stuff, and they just read a bit of Stephen. Wow. Some yeah. Steve, or a letter Stephen Fry had written. Gosh. It's like, that's, this isn't, you know, this yeah. is, <laughs> ceased to be an old might not, it's, <laughs> it's now a school assembly. Yeah. <laughs> but there was this couple because it's in the bar bit in Waterstone, so there's alcohol there, so people drink it, and there's a couple mm-hmm. there from, I think, Swansea, I can't remember, I think Cardiff or Swansea, they were definitely from somewhere in Wales that was reasonably big, and they mentioned that a lot mm-hmm. at length, and they were whooping up this band, which was the worst band I've ever <laughs> seen. They were doing a song called Seahorses. <laughs> um, <laughs> I used to see unicorns, now I see sea horses. horses. Yeah, <laughs> it was just <laughs> not good. And, <laughs> They were the guy playing, on playing, on playing on a box, like a drum, you know, the drum boxing, which was like a box, yep. and yeah, they were yeah. singing, and they were, they just, 
everything about them were like they were just like walked off the set of the OC. It was just not good. Mm-hmm. But she was like, oh yeah, more, oh yeah. <laughs> and like, so they go, yeah, we'll play again. And the host, they play for twenty five minutes. Yeah. And the host needs to step in and say, yeah. no, two songs, you're off. Yeah. yeah. I don't care if you brought your own drums. You've You've yeah. got to stop. You know, we've got someone here who wants to read a Stephen Fry letter. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah. but yeah, it was just it was that was such a bad night. Yeah, it was really and sloppy. Yeah, it was such a shame because he's he was so enthusiastic about it. They didn't advertise it properly, so mm. there was very yeah more musicians came because open mic can mean anything. Open mic generally means music. Music. If yeah. you see an open mic night, right? Pop, it's Even musicians. A, yeah. And if so, so when I mean Waterstones, it should be yeah. a you know that literature. should be a thing, should mm-hmm. be a literature thing. But so obviously, loads of bands have applied, and he's thought, well, no writers have asked to do it because <laughs> he didn't ask anyone to do it. Um, and actually, Socrates was there, so he had yeah, that's right. on his hands. He had a ready-made headliner there. You've mm-hmm. got someone who's a very good writer and also a very good reader, um, who who should have been doing twenty-five minutes, yeah. not like a band. But anyway. Um, but he hadn't spotted who was there, he hadn't organised it properly, so it fell apart. And actually, it's a great venue for an open mic yeah. night, and you could quite easily have a published headliner there every time with a, bo- a, you yeah. know, a table with their books and sell their books there. Mm-hmm. Why they don't do it, I don't know. Mm-hmm. They've got the bar, so it's not like they sort of people go over the pub, they've got a licence. <laughs> yeah. But I think that... Probably yeah. management saw that and just thought, this didn't work. work. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing that really annoyed me that night is when I when I got up to read, and I can't remember what story I was reading, but when I got to read, they so they they have that bar area there, which quite close to the was quite close to the performance area. Where was this? So in Waterstones Dean's Gate, yeah. and right on the top a floor, there, oh, there is okay. a cafe, a cafe. Right. It's a cafe. Um, yeah, but it's got yeah. license and it's a proper bar with alcohol. But the thing that was pissing me off was the coffee machine. So I'd be halfway through reading a story, and obviously the pet the barista or whoever the person on the on the counter is not listening. They're not interested in that, <laughs> and they're just serving the customers. Yeah. So I'd be like halfway through a really evocative sentence, coming up to the <laughs> final rousing moment of it, and yeah. then suddenly it's <laughs> bang, bang, <laughs> yeah. bang. So exactly the same reason why I can't write in cafes because I hate those machines yeah. <laughs> they are loud out how anyone relaxes in a cafe that's got one of those bloody machines in it I have no idea yeah. the worst thing I can't do it because of uh, when I see anybody with a laptop open in a coffee shop I just think twat, twat. <laughs> I can't understand how anyone can finish their coffee and still sit there no I don't someone, someone yeah. needs that table yeah. and I can't I just I'm there thinking just this probably if I look up there'll be a really frail old lady looking at me sadly holding a massive latte precariously going, oh, please let me sit down. Like, this, that's so I, just, I, I have to say yeah. there's a bit of me that would just be like typing even slower, just like this, <laughs> staring her right in the face. Like, SARS. Yeah. But a cafe is not as bad as what Charlie Literary Festival did to us. They said they're only there was only their second year running. Mm-hmm. Do you want to come they asked us they specifically asked us to come yeah. and play. We said, yeah we'd love to and then said it's in the bus station. Yeah. And then Charlie in the bus station there's a cafe in the bus station and that is a prime location for live literature. The best place to do live literature is where you've got an audience, half of whom have come to see you read and half of whom have no idea what's right. going on. Yeah. Because if you've written something that is to be performed, not that's just you reading off a page, yeah. you can really catch people's imagination. You can the best thing we ever mm. did was in a tennis club in Didsbury and almost everyone there 
was there because it was a nice day and they'd gone out. They had no idea right. what the event on. And mm. we oh my god! I'd be terrified. I well, I thought it was going to go. We thought it was going to go. We thought awful. it was going to be terrible. Yeah. They just finished watching. Wim- they was just yeah. finished watching Wimbledon match and it, the Wimbledon match finished. Yeah. And we thought, oh please, everybody leave, everybody leave, so we can do our lovely literature. Yeah, yeah. And basically, nobody did. Yeah. And but it, it, it turned out the best yeah. thing. We Andy Murray must have won that day. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. There was a guy came up to us at the end. I mean, we weren't reading. It was a an event. We were we were running. We thought like people reading, and I was reading, but. And there were people there, um, Trish Starbrook had never read before, yeah. and she, oh, won, right. she won the event, it was a slam, and she won the flash story, mm-hmm. the short story slam. And a guy came up to us at the end, because the volunteers from, it was Didsbury, wasn't it, Didsbury, Didsbury Arts, Arts Festival. Festival, yeah. A volunteer came at, at the end to check the event had gone right, and we were, you know, we'd been dealt with and everyone was happy. Um, and she said, oh, you know, we'd like to do a whip round, we didn't know anything about this, we got like nearly 50 quid yeah. which was picture up in here and a guy came up to us and said it was the best atmosphere he'd ever seen there and he went to the England games and wow. it, was, it was just it was brilliant. phenomenal yeah huh. really good but that I mean that's partly because we've got a lot of everything to host in it yeah. me and Dave were both dressed yeah. up <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> is this the flash tag um, sure, sure, sure. Sure. Yeah. 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 I'd, I'd um, it was the first <laughs> time we did it and we'd got we set it up like the darts so I was there yeah. my hair slit <laughs> and I was calling people on going like it's Dave Hartley like, <laughs> and then we'd play I'd like an iPod in my hand and then I'd play I'd set up a thing <laughs> all big intros yeah. so you know like sort of so Joy France came on yeah. um, Joy France is a great poet but one of the reasons she always goes down well early on is because she doesn't look like she's going to do what she does. Right. She looks like an innocent lady <laughs> in her fifties, and then she does proper blue stuff. And you're like, oh. <laughs> yeah. but she came on the first time, and I was like, press the thing, and I just randomly, and it was like, whoop, whoop. that's what sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, just brilliant. It, it was, just, but like, mm. because we'd got these little music clips, and because we were doing it in character, the audience were getting more and more hyped up, and they were yeah. loving it. And that's what you, you know, if you're hosting an event. Equally, your duty is to the audience. You, you, yeah. You're yeah. not there to be, I'm the king of this event. All you're doing is facilitating the event. Yeah. You're getting mm-hmm. the next hotel, you're remembering people's names and, set and asking <laughs> them how to pronounce them correctly if you don't know. It's just, you know, that's what you need to do. And yeah, mm-hmm. just, yeah, read a story at the start to set the mood, but you don't like going and do yeah. two or three things. No, not at all. But anyway, no. surely, Literature Festival. Yeah, yeah. Playing the bus station, we were like, oh, "That's great! We're going to be in the cafe. It's going to be lots of people aren't expecting it to get the, mm-hmm. you know, get the... It was in the fucking bus station, in the queue for the bus. So you'd be halfway through a story, bus turn up, everyone would just get on the bus, the bus would leave. You wouldn't have an audience <laughs> until five minutes later, when five minutes before the next bus. Oh my god! So it was, yeah, three of us. Just reading stories to each other. That's all it was. Yeah, it but, was. and it was not a short set. It was like twenty, twenty-five yeah, minutes. Was about, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was just people coming in. The, like it was just a little marquee, and us three, uh, Fat Roland, with Fat Roland wearing a papier-mâché um, <laughs> hat with lemons, hat with a lemon tree <laughs> on it, and like fake lemons <laughs> hanging off it. Reading some sort of bizarre, obscure story, abstract story about a guy who wears a, a lemon tree hat or something. I don't mm. even know what the story was about. Yeah, it's um, with no audience. In, with no audience in, in a bus station in a yeah in a venue station. that's got the worst acoustics like <laughs> yeah. bus, bus stations have just got terrible acoustics because they're open spaces with, with screens that like, yeah. yeah it was it was awful. weird yeah it was the worst case and I'm, I'm assuming they've 
they've learned a lesson they don't put people in the bus station anymore. because in the afternoon we did a thing in the, the library we went to the library mm-hmm. and they'd set it up in Shirley Library it was one of the other venues right. and it was brilliant yeah. they put a massive circle of chairs and there was someone in the middle and it was really good. really good they'd got that bit spot on but the long yeah. But well, sometimes I think being just being short story performers, you do tend to just get shoved in places and just say all they need yeah. is a, just an area, a microphone, and that's it. That's fine. Don't yeah. worry. So often we've been involved with various arts festivals when we used to be when we used to do flash tag, and we would do these sorts of events, and we just get plonked somewhere. Sometimes that can work like that. The Didsbury uh, thing at yeah. the tennis club. At the or sometimes it's, work. Well, sometimes it's just not. And you're just in a tiny room in a pub and there's nobody knows mm-hmm. that you're there. Nobody's coming to see you. You haven't got room to do anything. I, I couldn't deal with that. Uh, one I, we did one we went round. We did one where we went. It was a part of Lancaster Lit Fest and we walked around Lancaster and did it at random spots at different people had read stories. And yeah. some of the spots worked better than other spots. Mm. But one of them, the one that worked best, was in Sainsbury's, in the fruit section. And it wasn't either of us reading, it was, who was it was reading? I can't remember his name. Joe Chris, is his name? Joe yeah, Chris, that's yeah. right, yeah. And he was reading this, it was a poem, and people were like, he was standing by the apples, he was like in the fruit and vegetables, <laughs> and people would come and like put some apples, and then they'd wander off. <laughs> and then you see the same person come round again, and again, because they were like, What's, I, I want to watch, but I don't want to watch. Because he's just like, because he's, properly performing a poem he's yeah. not reading things he's just like Felt a mad guy just oh my doing a thing and it was brilliant it was great. absolutely brilliant yeah oh it worked so God. well yeah so sometimes it works and sometimes, sometimes it, it works doesn't. sometimes it doesn't I think yeah. you just got to roll with it don't you I think you I think it's bravery on a scale that's almost unimaginable I can't even if, if I'd showed up to a place and they said oh yeah here it's in the Sainsbury's I'd be like I'll see you later. I have a hard enough time that. when it's an actual night, like when I go, to, like yeah. I've done it bad language, yeah, and uh, verbose, yeah, and and Abby's night at first draft did it there, and the people before me at first draft, well, you were there or one of you were, you saw my yeah, 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 and I, okay, people, yeah. they started doing like stand up comedy, and uh, and I was reading this really dark, post apocalyptic, terrible, awful thing, and Your I just scene, yeah. yeah, and I was <laughs> it was. I almost didn't go up. I was, yeah. I was just like, this is, this, this is not going to go over well. well. Sometimes that can work, though, because if you've had a really raucously funny yeah. piece, sometimes if you do, if you just undercut that with a really serious piece, it can mm-hmm. work sometimes. But the, what was I was just um, reminded of when you were talking then? Oh, it's gone out of my head now. But the worst, Sorry. I'm Sorry. just interrupting you while you think about it, the, I find the worst oh, yeah. audience really is. is an audience full of... I didn't have... I did a night, and I won't say which night it was because it's a good night and I don't want to make it sound like it's not a good no. night. But the night I went, I read a piece and I looked at the audience and almost everyone in the audience was looking at me as if to say, well, I don't see why you're better than me. And an <laughs> audience full of writers, especially older, yeah. disappointed writers, can be much worse than an audience of people shopping in Sainsbury's oh, yeah, yeah, right. yeah. people shopping in Sainsbury's are just like what's this this is I only came for apples but this is this is, <laughs> this is something this extra yeah. Yeah. So, yeah it was the, I was remembering about the, the time when we did that um, we did National Short, National Flash Fiction Day and we went around Manchester um, as Flash Tag and we went to different places in fact were you actually did you I do wasn't that there. You it was my there. idea when I couldn't it was do your idea when you were there the rest of us were there so me and Fats and Sarah Claire and Tom um, we went around um, the city centre of Manchester different little areas to mm-hmm. read stories out um, 
I remember I was reading in middle, middle of Piccadilly Gardens and there were people just sat there as they will in Piccadilly Gardens just going, what what is going on? And I was reading this like science, little science fiction story and then I saw a couple of people just come over and cross their arms and <laughs> frown but with a little smirk on their face and you're thinking, yeah. oh, I, you know, I brightened that person's day up. Um, and that was really good fun and we went to all sorts of different places and we went to different art galleries and we went to the People's History Museum and the Manchester Art Gallery and places like that. But then we ended up, it took all day to do it, we ended up in Spinning Fields, which is the... I, of, I often think of Spinning Fields as the exact opposite to the Northern Quarter, because the Northern Quarter is just full of culture and yeah. life. I call it's, it... I, when I, the people in the Spinning Fields... The Spinning Fields douchebag brigade. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Spinning Fields is just... Because I, you go on. It's just a dead, <laughs> horrible, corporate... Yeah. Silvery, grey, cold place. For some reason, we decided to do a reading there, and there's a, like there was like we were in this kind of sort of area, and it was towards the end of the day, and people there was not really any many people around, and people were leaving work and going out. I'm call you spinning fields, so carry on. All right, and, um, this maybe I mean this was a few years ago now, but there was like a platform bit, um, and Fats got up on it and started reading one of his stories, and there was nobody listening. It was just me, Tom, and Claire listening, and that was it. And then from the side episode from one of the buildings, a security guard guy came slowly, just walked over towards us, and we were like, okay, what's, what's all this about? And he, saw, he came right up, and he looked at the three of us, and then he looked at Fats, and then he just sort of stood there, right in front of Fats, just, just like sort of angled his head just to like listen to him. And Fats was just like, Carrying on, he was a bit unnerved by this. This guy was a big guy as well, yeah. a proper big security guy, and the rest of us were like, oh, what's going on? And he stood there for a good couple of minutes just going like that, and then eventually he just went, sorry, mate, you can't do that. <laughs> so that wasn't so bad, was it? Nice little interview. Said some nice things, some interesting things, some tips little bit of mudslinging. What more do you want, really? Um, I think it's obvious you can tell that uh, Dave, Ben, and I are mates. So uh, I think I have officially run out of mates to interview now. So I actually have to find people who I don't know, which uh, is daunting. Um, I don't know why, but I decided to put in a piece of gum. This is probably not a good idea for a podcast. Can you hear me chewing? Um... Oh, fuck, there's people coming towards me now. What are they doing? Seriously, I've made an effort to get as far away as possible from the path. And those people come straight... Ooh, come straight towards me. What are they doing? Okay, I'm going to stop for a second. Okay, they've walked past now. The next podcast is going to be with Tanya Hirschman, who... I th- well, I shouldn't say that, actually, because we're not completely confirmed. Oh, well, I've said it now. Um, and she's... She's not actually from the Northwest, so um, she's from Bristol, or she lives in Bristol anyway. But the reason I'm interviewing her is because she mentors a lot of people up here. Uh, I've also, I, I got very excited about another interview that's coming up, that I, and this one I really cannot say anything about, but it's a very well-known author, and uh, it's going to be as her new book comes out. So we'll be talking about a new book. And I'm getting a copy of it sent to me before anyone else. What else do I want to talk about? Probably nothing, I guess. Bye.